0: So we want to restore a pain-free range of motion in the spine. Then we need to get the muscles all around it to relax. And then we need to work on the actual muscle health.
1: Welcome to Harmonized Health. Escape the medical matrix. Here, you'll gain a new perspective on medicine by showcasing alternative health in all its forms while digging into some medical science and philosophy. You'll gain knowledge about how to care for yourself and your family by building a solid foundation of health That includes movement, sunlight, breathing, diet, sleep, joy, connection, and purpose.
2: All right, welcome back to Harmonized Health. I'm your host, Dr. Damon, with my co-host here, Dr. Dan. Hello, hello, hello. How you guys doing today? Yeah, we're back again, and we got a special episode. They're all special, but this one <laughs> is, uh, you know, right in the wheelhouse for both of us, I'd say. But uh, a little bit more on your side of things, and so you're gonna, you see a lot more of this than than I do, um, which is good. But yeah, uh, definitely. Well, I mean, you, you usually. When people come in for low back pain, right? Like you send them out, like you're you're sent to like an osteopath or something, right? Like,
0: well, come <laughs> on. <laughs> no, usually, yeah. if anything, people come to me uh, with whatever low back pain, neck pain, stuff like that, um, after just years of seeing other people. So they usually come to me very disappointed and very openly will say, "Uh, I don't really like you. (laughs) I don't like chiropractors. I've been to like 15 of them. I don't trust you, but here I am. And I go, "Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, That's a good start. (laughs) Sometimes I'll be like, well, you know what? I don't blame you because chances (laughs) are if you've been to 15 chiropractors, I probably wouldn't be too happy with it either. Um, But uh, yes, so today we are, we're talking about low back pain specifically, Um, all kinds of causes and treatments and and little fun topics in between um, and I guess in some form or fashion I mean I can I can try and take the reins on this one a little bit and we can run through this but we got a lot of topics
2: yeah, yeah um, and that's I guess we could even just narrow it down first because that is I mean low back pain you know we do kind of generalize that but yeah. what are we what are you typically seeing like on a more specific diagnosis.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, typically with low back pain, when people come in, um, there's really not much going on. And I think that is the hardest thing is when people come in for low back pain and maybe they've had MRIs and they'll come in and they'll say, yeah, you know, I have like a bulging L5 S1 disc, Um, you know, I have some arthritis and, you know, the doctor just says, you know, pretty much I'm doomed. You know, once like, it's almost like once they get imaging with arthritis on it, they kind of just give up on their health. And I don't blame them, honestly, because when you think about arthritis, just in general, we tend to think like, oh man, I really beat myself up. I have arthritis. This is going to be a pain generator for the rest of my life. And so one of my first, one of my first interactions with my patients is trying to restore some kind of hope just in their diagnosis and, and, you know, treatment and what's going on. And so, um, I see, yes, so a lot of just kind of mild disc injuries. Sometimes it's more diffuse. Uh, you'll see, you know, L3, L4, L4, L5, L5, S1, you know, disc injuries, not that they're, uh, totally herniated or, um, you know, they're sequestered or something. So there is difference between disc bulge, disc herniations in, um, extrusions, sequestered, stuff like that. So, um, Typically people will see like a disc bulge or a disc herniation. Sometimes they don't even really differentiate that uh, And they say yep, okay, that's gonna cause me a lot of pain, which is fair I, I have injured a disc and it is very painful. That's true, but it also only lasted like a week Maybe two right and so that's important to remember and oftentimes people will come in and, and their doctor will tell them that the disc will heal so that's something right the, they'll know that the disc will heal but they also will have heard that like 4 years ago and their back still hurts right so that's something they're like yeah doc says it'll heal but i'm still in a lot of pain the arthritis they usually don't get much from they just like yeah you can try injections um you know you can take whatever medication uh, or try physical therapy and physical therapy is great people often get results with that but it just doesn't you know totally last or it's not enough mm-hmm. And that's typically where people come into me. So they, kind of that package. Usually they'll have had some kind of imaging, um, and then just kind of a lot going on on that imaging, but really nothing like severe. Mm-hmm. But a lot, right? Um, so nonetheless, what I say usually what happens, I, I they end up with. I guess, technically not a diagnosis, but with a diagnosis of like, of just like a classic lower cross syndrome, mm. uh, which yeah. is something that we're going to be talking about in our next one as well, our next podcast as well,
2: yeah, essentially. It's going to flow right into the next one, which yeah. is movement and exercise, kind of right. differentiating those. Yep. So
0: when, when I saw that we were going to dive into that, I was like, well, this will be perfect for low back pain, because mm. realistically, low back pain is movement and exercise, like you're, you're lacking that (laughs) you need some kind of function. Um, and so what I go through typically at motion chiropractic, I'll say our goals are are like a three-step process. So we want to restore some kind of movement through your joints, uh, wherever that may be. Maybe it's not in the area that you're having pain. Maybe it's above or below that, but we want to restore a pain-free range of motion in the spine. That's important. You need to be able to move right without pain then we need to get the muscles all around it to relax because they're tight, they're irritated for whatever reason. There's a multitude of reasons. Could be that you're not working them. Could be that you're working them too much. Could be that the firing patterns are off uh, and they're kicking in before they should. couple reasons, right? You could just, you don't move and your muscles just slowly constrict on you like an anaconda, right? (laughs) And then once we've kind of addressed the muscle, almost like elasticity or length, uh, whatever, we need to work on the actual muscle health. And that goes into the exercise. We need to start working that muscle, getting blood flow moving through it. Um, strengthening it up, restoring its function so that it doesn't go back to tightness so that the tightness doesn't go back to restricting your range of motion, which brings you into pain. So it's like step one to two and then step one to two to three. Um, And that's usually good because that is a very holistic approach. It doesn't matter if you have herniations, bulges, whatever. It doesn't really matter if you have arthritis because we're starting to restore some of that function. Um, and then anything really in between, muscle knots and tension and hamstring tightness and everybody says they have sciatica, um, all these things, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it comes down to, where's your range of motion? How does it feel? What are the muscles doing around it in restricting or not being able to stabilize? Is it either too stable or not stable enough? And then we're going to add function. We're going to add, you know, muscle health back into that. So, either stabilization if you need it, you know, strengthening if you need it, firing patterns, whatever it may be. And that process is usually good enough to kind of restore people through the normal, like, low back pain that people will come in with. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, comma. (laughs) You have people that come in after car accidents and this and that, and there's all kinds of injury and, and stuff that goes with that. But I feel like that's like a whole different, that's that a whole different a, wheelhouse. That would be a
2: semicolon there,
0: I think. A like, semicolon, because um, yeah, there's a period want, after that, right? You want to right? separate but that is, that yeah, 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 you do. <laughs> there's, there's enough of a subject in there to <laughs> yeah. where you can semicolon yeah. and then run into the, next, the rest of
2: it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say, uh, not to cut you off here, no? but I would just add in a couple things there. Um, you brought up a good point. The movement, you know, if we're moving, like we're supposed to, we're humans, that's kind of what we are supposed to do, just like other animals. And so when we stop doing that and we become sedentary, which is a part of our modern society, you know, that's where you're going to start to develop a lot of these things. So if you stay moving, you know... Now there's that balance because you can over move like an athlete. Like so, they're mm-hmm. gonna have their own issues yeah. because they're kind of overdoing it, you know. Especially if they're not, you know, doing enough recovery kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to also touch on the difference with pain and actual damage. So, mm-hmm. like we've seen in research too, that and it just kind of makes sense that the pain signal is not a barometer for actual damage yeah you know so even if that disc hasn't healed you could still be out of pain like you were kind of mentioning yeah, earlier absolutely. and or or it has healed and you're still in pain you know so it's yeah. not it's it your brain and your nervous system are putting that pain signal there it's not because there's a certain amount of damage and i think that's where you know at least for myself that's how i originally thought of it and i think a lot of people do is like oh i have this disc injury and that's causing the pain right and it's really not that cut and dry do
0: you remember that statistic like off the top of your head where it's like one in like 3 people over the age of whatever 30 or 40 have disc herniation yeah and we were i yeah. i think it's even higher than that, yeah we were know? but that was always drilled in our heads oh, and yeah. it's like yeah a lot of people have mm-hmm. herniations but that doesn't mean that all of those people yep. are in pain. Mm-hmm. So yeah. same with arthritis. You may
2: have all kinds of arthritis and not even know it. Yeah. And I mean, itis, inflammation. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's kind of the big key there. And so I guess, would how do you approach, you know, I think this comes up a lot with chiropractic is how do you approach the imaging side of things with x-rays and mm-hmm. MRIs now?
0: Yeah, it's hard because everybody wants an answer right away today. And realistically, imaging isn't totally necessary. I mean, I do a pretty thorough exam, and there are times where you even get a little, you know, a little, mm, that's kind of strange. Yeah. Um, but even still, you know, that, that's a little strange. Let's keep an eye on that. If that's not improving, let's send you for like, you know, let's send you for some kind of MRI. So I, I have people where, yeah, they might get like, a little bit of numbness in like a fingertip or like maybe on like the front of their thigh or something and, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's you probably do have some kind of disc injury, right? So we'll treat it as such and we'll see how you're doing. You know, you don't have any severe symptoms right now, right? So we'll treat it and we'll see how you're doing. And if nothing's getting better, so be it. Uh, you know, we'll We'll carry on, you know, or if nothing's getting better, we'll, we'll send you for some imaging. It's not like mm. we're not going to, right? Yeah. But if it starts to get better, and so be it. It's great. Fantastic. We can, you know, we saved you 250 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, But at the end of the day, there are people who are just, I want imaging. Mm-hmm. I, like, people are almost disappointed that I don't take X-rays yeah. at my office. And it's like, well, you know, if you're really that worried about it, because you have to trust the patient, too, to oh, some extent, sure. right? Like, if they come in and they're like,
1: this, their this
0: ain't right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be like, absolutely not. I'm not sending you for imaging. And yeah. then there is something wrong and they're like, well, I wanted you to send anyway. yeah. me, <laughs> right? So if people usually are like um, adamant about it, and it is justifiable, because obviously that's important, too. I'm not just going to send you for whatever <laughs> in the world you ask for. But it is justifiable. Yeah, I have no qualms with imaging. You, you can go get an MRI or x-rays, and, and it's great. It's more information. It makes it easier for me, but it's not always necessary. And that's another thing, too, with just our medical system now. I mean, you, you go to a doctor, you get imaging, you know, you talk to them for two minutes, and then you go on your way, and that's almost what they expect. So when they come in, it's like,
2: What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all data driven, too. Yeah. And it removes that, that personal interaction. And I think that's what we really have to get back to. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I even see it in the functional world, too. Is you know, looking at labs too much, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like that. I mean, this is only telling us a little piece of the puzzle. Even if you're running the most advanced labs, mm-hmm. you're only, you're only still understanding a piece of this person. I say usually around 5%. You yeah. know, and talking to the person and letting them tell their story usually gives you way more information. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And I think that comes into into this with you, too, is like, you know, when they come in, the way they're walking, you're already, you know, picking out kind of what's going on, you yeah. know, that antalgic kind of position and mm-hmm. stuff. And so, um, yeah, the upper cross syndrome, like you said. Um, and so, yeah, you already have an idea. Then they start telling their story and it's like... Okay, like, and then you do a quick exam or a comprehensive exam, either one. And yeah, at that point, usually, you know, <laughs> you don't need any kind of imaging. Yeah. Um, it can help. It's kind of like those labs, that, that little extra piece if, if things just aren't super clear from what you've already gathered. Yeah. And I think that's uh, kind of where. Yeah. yeah, and another huge
0: thing to keep in mind with your patients is just what do you do for work? Like what, what do you do for work? Because I tell people all the time, whether you are like some kind of librarian or you work on an oil rig, you beat yourself up every day, whether you want to believe it or not, you beat yourself up every day and you have to undo that beat down a little (laughs) bit uh, in order to progress as it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, if you sit at a desk all day, you might think like, oh yeah, well, of course my shoulders are going to be tight and stuff, but like, you know. I'm not, yeah, I'm not an NFL player or something. I don't need to be stretching and, you know, running through all these exercise and blah, 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 because I'm just sitting at a desk. And it's like, well, you sitting at that desk is beating you to the ground every day. Yeah. And you have to undo that. So whether that's, you know, some exercise routine, even throughout the day that you can get up and do, you know, while you're at the desk. Um, I always, I joke, and I don't know if it's totally appropriate, but I am also like... uh I can relate. Right. And mm-hmm. so I joke sometimes I'm like, I know by the time you get home, your goal is to like be in your underwear in like 15 seconds, <laughs> right? Like you come home, you're in a suit and you just want to get home. And you're just like, wow, get me out of this thing. Like I want to relax. Right. But I can always say like, before you kick the work boots off, just give yourself a couple minutes of stretch. And that's classic. It's classic. Like just I don't know training behavior whatever like same thing in like middle school. I mean before yeah. you before you start playing video games, get your homework done, and you're more likely to do mm-hmm. it right. And it's the same thing. Before you get home, you kick your boots off, you you plop down in your favorite recliner whatever you have to do. Just get a good stretch routine. It's still make it part of your work day. You come home, you stretch out, you know the low back or you know you do your neck stretches, whatever little exercises that you know I pass around, and and just. Start doing that mm-hmm. just before you kick the boots off, and then that's okay. Then you can enjoy the rest of your night. You, you added a couple, you know, three, four, maybe five more minutes in. So be it. It was yeah. just an eight hour work day. Like five more minutes ain't going to kill you. It's going to help you a lot. Yeah. And then you can build from there. Um, but work is a huge thing because you have to figure out the repetitive
2: patterns that people are performing that have a toll on their life. Yeah, I think uh, a good one for people, because I know that they always um, have a lot of things going through their head still. Like, I I experience this. Mm-hmm. And so when you come home, sometimes, you know, those things are taking precedent. And so what I sometimes tell people, and, and I do this, uh, is I keep the foam roller, or I keep something out to where I see it. Yeah. You know, so it's like you walk into your living room, it's like... You you know, that orange foam roller over there hanging from the ceiling like a
1: pinata, you (laughs) walk into it (laughs)
2: exactly, yeah, whatever works, yeah. And uh, and so that way it's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, let me do this real quick. So it kind of like snaps you out of it, and so I think that's something to for people to just remind themselves, you know, whether it's a yoga mat or something that just kind of catches your attention, even when you're you know, often, you know, other world of thinking Mm -hmm. and ruminating and stuff. So um, I think that's a good little strategy. What are somewhat of a shift here, but Mm -hmm. what are like the main things that you coach people through? So say they come in, you know, you do your evaluation, you start getting them adjusted. What are some of the other things that you're having them do, whether it's exercise or other modalities that you're utilizing for that back pain?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, like I said, like adjustments are a tool and that's all they are. It's a tool. So we're adding some range of motion. If you don't need that range of motion added anymore, well, then that's not a tool that we use anymore. Um, but it is a tool. So we'll, we'll do some kind of adjustment, mobilization, drop table, you know, very rarely activator, arthrostem sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but some kind of mobilization. And then we jump into muscle work and muscle work is just as important. And that's the part where people dip out. Nobody wants to do muscle work. No doctor wants to do muscle work anymore. Not like legit, true muscle work. And they're fantastic doctors. I'm not like a lone, like this lone wolf <laughs> trying to change the world. I mean, there's fantastic all over the nation, world, whatever, doing, doing you know, what's necessary, Um, but for the most part, muscle work is hard, makes you sweat, like nobody wants to do it. So we jump into some kind of ischemic compression, just squeezing the blood out of the muscles, getting all that gunk and junk out of there, and then when you relax, it lets new blood flow come in. Ischemic compression, that's great. You can work that into like pin and stretch and trigger point therapy. Um, Just yeah, really the concept is just getting gunk and junk out of the muscles. Uh, letting new blood flow come in. Or we'll jump into some kind of IASTM, you know, soft tissue mobilization where we'll work through the muscles there. And there I say there's like three or four kind of things that we're trying to accomplish depending on the patient. And so it could be same concept, you know, gunk and junk, breaking apart stuff that's just building up in the muscles, flushing it out, and that's great. There's also the concept of like bringing more blood flow to an area, and that's important. You're bringing more macrophages. You're bringing more nutrients. uh, You're bringing more oxygen. You're just, you're bringing healing into an area when you bring blood flow. Um, and then I try to kind of throw in my inflammation talk. And whereas like inflammation is just more blood, it's just increased blood flow, right? Out of control inflammation is a problem. So sometimes we're using these tools to control inflammation and we want to kind of flush stuff out of an area. And that's fine too. Sometimes we're using them to bring inflammation, essentially, like we want to bring blood flow to the area in a controlled manner so that your body can use it. Um, and that's usually soft tissue mobilization, sometimes cupping, very similar, right? I mean, you're bringing a lot of blood flow to an area. I like to do dynamic cupping and tug on the fascia, you know, the different cups and stuff, kind of pull and stretch and then flush everything out at the end. Um, and that's typically where I go with, with manual therapies, with, you know, muscle yeah. work, which is a lot. Yeah. And then exercise. Yeah. And exercise is important to tie into their work, to their life. Um, and make it relatable. And I think that's the big gap. And that's the important part. Um, like the most important part with the patients is this big gap between I'm doing exercise and it's homework, and I don't want to do it versus I'm trying to apply these things to my everyday life and how I move and what I do. Um, and then it becomes a habit it becomes a new way of moving, a healthier way of moving. Uh, and that is where I I work. I, I very, very intentionally work towards um, teaching them, like if, for example, if they work at a desk job, if you work at a desk job, your knees are always bent, you're sitting in a chair, your glutes are always stretched. If the muscle is stretched, it's inhibited, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? So your glutes are always stretched out in a relaxed position. Your hamstrings, your knees are bent, your hamstrings are tight. Uh, and you're usually using your low back to keep yourself up because your posture is terrible, as is, right? So your low back's trying to kind of hold you from falling forward, hamstrings are sitting there just shortening all day long, and your glutes are totally inhibited. Now, when you stand up and you have this giant muscle that is, you know, giant muscles that are the glutes that are supposed to pick you up and move you, they've been inhibited all day. So you got these tight hamstrings that are going to kick in, and this low back that's been working all day just keeps chugging along because it's a trooper. Um, So now my goal is to train these glutes to fire, to fire first, uh, to initiate these movements and stabilize the pelvis, which is your center of gravity, your balance, you know, all this and that. Keep that tucked under you tight, work on the core, right? Um, but then apply that to your life. So how do you get in and out of a car? How do you go up and down stairs? How do you get up or sit down into a chair? Um, you know, you're walking, you're jogging. What does that look like? And what muscles are you recruiting? Cause if you're using, yeah, low back and hamstrings and they're irritated all day long anyways, um, it's just going to get worse. Right. So it's trying to apply that to their life. You know, what does it look like when you sit in the car? What does it look like when you do dishes? How do you pick your kid up? Do you swing and pull them up and throw your back out? Or are you dropping the hips and just, you know, picking them up, you know, normally. So uh, that's kind of, that's, that's it. Mobilization, muscles add in function back to their life.
2: That's a good strategy there. I like the whole flow. Yeah. All too, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you did mention a few things that I will, I'll highlight. You mentioned the Arthro stim. um, So correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a tool that you will utilize instead of the high velocity adjusting to be a little bit maybe more specific on the. Vertebrae? Um,
0: yeah, there's there's a couple different ways to use it. Um, and if you don't know what an arthro stim is, uh, maybe you've been to a chiropractor, and you've had the little clicker, everybody says. And that, that's an activator. It goes click, 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 you know, in spots on the back. And an arthro stim is like a hybrid between that and like a massage gun, you know, your percussive massage gun. Um, so it, it clicks, but it's a little quicker um, and it can be a little more aggressive. I mean, the activator, you can press in, but this arthro stim is actually kicking, it's pushing. Um, but what it does is very pinpoint, right? pinpoint location that you're using, and it's very fast. And so by being pinpoint and fast, you don't have to put as much power uh, through the movement in order to get the same amount of force through the joint. Which so, is what we're trying to do anyway. Right. We're trying to get a, a certain amount of force through the joint that is going to move the joint, right? So this lets us do it with less power because it's faster and more pinpoint than our hands can be, Right. Um, But you can also
2: develop pretty good speed, which is what everybody is typically trying to do as a chiropractor. Absolutely. Trying to get that more velocity so that, yeah, you don't have that kind of reaction. Yeah, that's the goal, right? But
0: I mean... I, I joke, like, not even Bruce Lee's hands can be that fast. I mean, that thing is... I
2: don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, that's where I'd like to see where, like, right? BD, Ooh, D.D. Palmer
2: and B.J. Palmer. Yeah, because their whole like,
0: recoil I mean, yeah. who knows, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, it, it's it, that's the theory behind it, right? It's yeah. supposed to be faster, more pinpoint, so it's not using as much power to get the same amount of force. Um, and so since it's not using as much power... It's just more gentle. Okay. It's not as aggressive. Uh, so you can use it to be very pinpoint and utilize, you know, I want to move this one spot right here. But I mean, that's also our goal with our hands. Mm-hmm. So usually I'll use it more as what I say, like, like uh, moving like a rusty hinge, you know, like it just, it doesn't want to move. You don't just crunch it forward and backwards. You got to kind of wiggle it. And then eventually it starts to get some movement. And I like to use the Arthur stem as kind of that wiggle. So I can use it repetitively over an area, maybe a broad area, maybe a very pinpoint area, to kind of wiggle it, mm-hmm. get it moving, uh, and it's not as, yeah, aggressive. And then usually I will work my way up to some kind of manual, you know, adjustment,
2: unless it's, you know, not indicated, right, yeah. and then, yeah. then I won't. But, um, yeah. And you you had also mentioned inflammation. Sometimes we're going to want to bring inflammation and The key there is inflammation is the healing process. Mm -hmm. We need that inflammation. And we were taught, or a lot of people were taught for a long time to, you know, apply cold, right? Yeah. Um, The whole rice kind of uh, methodology. However, you know, that's going to slow down the inflammation and that's going to slow down the healing. So, you know, yeah, if you need to bring down the pain... Mm -hmm. It can be indicated. However, you know, if you really want to get this healing process moving, that's where you don't want to apply the ice yeah, um, or the cold. You I know? think that's fair. I think that's a fair,
0: I mean, that's why, you know, you should be led by some kind of medical professional when you're going through this. But if you're in pain, it's one thing. Yeah. You know, if you're in pain, sure, throw some ice on it, you no know, more than 20 minutes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you're, if you got a little bit of discomfort, well, that's Okay. You know, an inflammation that's causing pain is probably, you know, it might be borderline depending on the person, but it's probably getting out of control, right? That's why it's painful. Mm-hmm. But bringing, you know, yeah, if you're sore, if you're uncomfortable, if you're like, oh, man, I was stiff, and I go, I mean, yeah, that, that happens, and that's mm-hmm. okay. That's part of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's that's something that I, I kind of go through with my patients too. I always tell them with anything we do um, – did you ever take? Did you ever take like factor with with uh, Greg mm, Doerr? No. Oh man. Well, anytime, <laughs> anytime you're doing anything. I mean, you remember like uh, Dr. Cooper, man. He used to love to put us in pain. Yeah. Right? Oh, Greg yeah. Doerr is the same way. He thought it was awesome to put us in pain <laughs> yeah. while we're doing some of this stuff. Um, the the ISTM, the, the soft tissue mobilization. But he would always say, I don't want you over a seven out of ten pain. If you're over a seven out of ten pain, your body's going to go into a defensive mode. You're going to tighten up more. All this and that. And it's the same concept. If we're doing stuff and you start to get in like pain, that's... Your body's going to fight against it. Your body's going to fight it, right? So, discomfort's okay. So, I have patients that come in and say, no pain, no gain, right? And I'm like, well, I got to keep my eye on you because you're going to let me beat you up too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're going to end up, you know, a little more tense or whatever. So, um, discomfort's okay. Yeah, you you don't need to ice. Pain... I'm not going to be mad at that.
2: I I can understand. Yeah, and I think (laughs) that's where we need to coach them through the breathing because that's Mm going to help you manage that discomfort a little bit further. And so that goes into the whole diaphragm activation, the whole inner core activation. So inner core is going to be your diaphragm at the top. You can kind of picture, you know, a, a can of some sort, I was going to say soda can, but maybe that's you know, not the best <laughs> analogy, but you know, some kind of can uh, or canister, and you have your diaphragm at the top, you're going to have your transverse abdominis wrapping around, and then you're going to have your pelvic floor at the bottom, and even in the back, you're going to have your multifidi, which mm-hmm. will relate a lot to the low back pain. And so we want to have that inner core functioning properly. The diaphragm is going to be probably the main key there. Public floor very important also, and so we want to be breathing properly using that diaphragm first. That's also kind of what uh, what's going to be at the end here. You know, the do want do this one thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of getting ahead of myself here, but <laughs> we're gonna we want to get that diaphragm working too. So when it descends down, it's gonna move everything and kind of massage everything. Yeah. So now we're gonna massage those low back muscles that's going to tell our nervous system to calm down, that'll bring that pain signal down too. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, yeah. And that that's a huge thing. The way that we breathe and the way that we stabilize our core are two things that usually go, you know, get passed on to my patient in like the first or second day. Um, because when we breathe with diaphragm, like you said, it's massaging those muscles, but our ribs have this bucket handle movement that it's described as, right? So if you can imagine your classic Home Depot five-gallon bucket, uh, you, you pick up the handle and, you know, kind of swivels on that pivot, right? Well, the ribs do that as well because they attach essentially, you know, to the sternum and to the back and they have that swivel movement up and down as you breathe. As you breathe through the diaphragm, you're stretching those muscles, right? They're stretching, they're expanding, contracting sort of thing, right? And And that is going to massage everything out, but it's also going to be like, stretching down the low back I mean, you can feel a stretch. If you stretch your low back and then you take a deep belly breath, you feel it open up that whole cavity. And so now as you're belly breathing, you're, you get this opportunity to stretch and relax muscles throughout the day instead of like this deep stagnation of your muscles just sitting there like chains until you get up and move because you're, you're using, you know, muscles, accessory muscles in the neck and and uh, you know, chest, uh, upper chest, and everything to breathe. So you do. You have to kind of bring that down into into the diaphragm, and that does do wonders. And just yeah, like a like a wave, you know, just kind of slow, cool, calm, collected. Like you're at the beach, and those waves are just kind of moving in yeah. and out. Like you get that through your through the muscles and through the the ribs and everything. And that's so important. I like it. To just fight, yeah, that stagnation. And then the transverse abdominus. Just my quick little spiel on that. Yeah. The transverse abdominus, I always say, you know, goes transversely across the abdomen. That's why, you know, shout out to Latin or whatever. Um, <laughs> or whatever. Transverse abdominus, yeah. yeah, or whatever. Uh yeah, it is, it is. Um, but that is like our biological weight belt. And so when you see all these big bodybuilders putting this big belt on across, you know, they're, they're supporting... Uh, what the transverse abdominis does, and so the rectus femor, or rectus femoris, um, help me out, the rectus uh, abdominis, <laughs> yeah. yeah, rectus abdominis, um, your your cool six pack, that doesn't really work so much in stabilization like we think. That's more like you know eccentric movements, whatever. You mm-hmm. could dive into that another day, but the transverse abdominis is what stabilizes our low back as we move, and we have to be able to activate that while we breathe. If we can't breathe through our diaphragm and activate our transverse abdominus, which is our core, we're never going to use our core because we're always breathing, right? if that makes sense. If we're breathing, we need to be able to activate our core while we do so. So it's hard to bring that tension across the lower abdomen and then breathe into like the lower abdomen, essentially. That's very difficult but it's necessary. Otherwise you live life with a zero core. doesn't matter if you can activate it.
2: You're not going to use it because you're going to be breathing no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The guys over at uh, the functional movement guys, they always used to say, uh, I think it was them. They would say, breathe behind this shield. Yeah. That made a lot of sense. Mm. It's like, you know, yeah. So you're, you have that transverse abdominis contract it, but you're still able to access that breathing in that area. Yeah.
0: That's a that's a good, like, mental image. Yeah, right? Yeah.
2: I always liked that one. It always yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll have to pass that along. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so real quick, I think maybe we should hit on sciatica. So, you know, like you said, that's a very, you know, a lot of people come in and like, hey, I got sciatica. Yeah. And I think it. it some people are confused by it, um, you know, and yeah. so if you want to just highlight what, sure what yeah looks like.
0: yeah absolutely so the sciatic nerve is thick the sciatic nerve is probably like the diameter of your pinky probably i mean like that's a that's a thick that's piece big. of nerve yeah it, it was big i mean you're remembering cadavers and everything right like you, pull it, you could you could strum that thing like it was it was dense yeah um it's a thick nerve that runs down the back of your leg essentially kind of exits out the glute goes down the back of your leg and typically a, a true sciatica is like pain shooting down the leg like to the bottom of the foot pretty much Mm -hmm. so it's it's usually pretty bad it doesn't have to every time um, but that's a true sciatica typically what happens people will come in with pain coming down their low back kind of to the back of the knee uh, and they'll say yeah my sciatica if they even if they even go to the back of the leg They might say my sciatica and go down the side of their leg. They might say my sciatica um, and have no pain in their leg. It's just somehow it's become this blanket term. Maybe it's because of like... ICD-10 coding or something, yeah. where they can, they can write in sciatica because they have some kind of pain in their, in their low back, and it helps justify whatever they're doing, maybe, I don't know. Um, but sciatica just gets tossed around like migraines, and we mentioned it when we talked yep. about migraines. Um, but a true sciatica, yeah, is usually like a nerve pain shooting down the leg, like to the bottom of the foot. And so what we see, what can, you know, cause that most common usually is coming from the piriformis usually i mean there are instances where you can have nerve entrapments or you can have all kinds of disc injuries and this and that but typically it's not that deep like it's mm-hmm. it's a little more i would say simple but simple gets overlooked or it just isn't a good enough answer a good enough explanation and so now something that's simple becomes like the difficult solution because we don't want to dive into that yeah and it very often comes from the performance yeah, Which and is, I
2: mean those. Obviously, those are right next to each other, and you right. know sometimes it even it pierces right, right through. I think
0: that's a thirty-three percent or two. Uh, I think the too. yeah, I think the sciatic nerve runs Start through the piriformis. i calling numbers, man. Well, you know they could all be lies. But <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that is like a thirty-three percent. It's like a one in three. The sciatic nerve runs through the piriformis, so now that muscle gets tight, right back
2: to not using your glutes properly, um, and now you got pain shooting down the leg. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, any so any kind of even like minor shift in that pelvic motion, then you, you can see this kind of pop up. Yeah. So then what is, what do you think or what do you see as like the biggest drivers of that minor shift and then causing that kind of compression on that nerve?
0: Yeah, well, typically it's not even, like the sciatic nerve isn't usually involved. It's usually not. <laughs> it's really usually not involved. If you have sciatica, uh, chances are you don't. Um, it's possible, obviously, of course, mm-hmm. but typically I, I, I don't think I've seen like a true sciatica in a long time.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> it not happens. super common yeah. to have it like, you know, shooting into the heel yeah. and stuff. Yeah.
0: Like typically it's more like hamstring. It's more myofascial tightness. It's, you know, yeah, you got some kind of dysfunction going on and it's giving you pain down the leg. Sure. Uh, but it is more, you know, glute or it is like fascial tightness i mean you really start to work it and you start to notice like it's your whole posterior chain and so now you can see how that pain kind of maybe goes up the right leg crosses at the the sacrum and everything it goes up like the left side of the back and you can see like wow yeah you have this crazy fascial tightness it's and so you start to work on that right yeah there. exactly and you start to work on that and you see you know maybe more in and the, the base of the low back on the left is causing this tightness running down the right leg. And that's difficult. That's what makes my job hard, right? Mm-hmm. That's hard. Um, but nonetheless, it usually comes from some kind of dysfunction coming f- around the, the pelvis, the glute, the breathing, um, you know, yeah, pelvic floor, even transverse abdominis. It usually comes from around there. Something isn't firing in the correct order doesn't mean that it's... It's weak or it's not there. It's just not firing in the correct order, which is always difficult to explain to athletes because they're like, I've been doing this my whole life. You're going to tell me my glute doesn't work. You're really good at compensating. Yeah, you're (laughs) really good at compensating. Yeah, I had a professional runner, like just dude ran his whole life. And I tried to tell him he wasn't using his glute. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person on <laughs> the planet. He's like, do you know what I do for him? Like, yes, I do. It's part of history. Um, but, and then you you do you know Yanda's hip extension. You show them, look, that glute's not firing first. And they're like, well, son of a gun. <laughs> like, that's crazy to think that I've made it this far, not, yeah, professional compensator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Typically, as you dive into those firing patterns, as you dive into, you know, stabilization, whatever, you start to see this fascial tightness, or maybe the piriformis is working because the glute isn't. Uh, And that kind of works its way down. Usually, like, glute med will kick in, and then piriformis will kick in, um, and your glute's just hanging out, like, sipping coffee while the rest of your body's working way too hard. Um, (laughs) So, as you start to fix those imbalances, now these smaller muscles that aren't meant to do that big of a movement get to relax. And that pain shooting down the leg gets to relax, uh, which is important. But it's not, you know, it's not a true sciatica, which is neither here nor there. It's not like I'm going to sit my patient down and be like, you don't have sciatica. It's mm-hmm. really not that important. What's important is explaining to them everything else. And then they'll, they can kind of go home and be like, wait, is that sciatica? No, that's not. Mm-hmm. And then that's on them. <laughs> great fantastic you got to kind of dive in your own health yeah. um, and, and figure something out so um, that's usually the go-to a sciatica If someone has true sciatica there's there's something bigger going on and that's where yeah well let's get some imaging let's kind of figure this out um, and we can treat it differently to mm-hmm. an extent but still usually it's similar. coming from similar root causes mm-hmm. yeah it's just escalated differently
2: yeah yeah so do you think people need to see chiropractors for
0: this well you know dr d i'm glad you <laughs> asked um it's actually crazy because chiropractic is evolving so much um and there's so many strange things that come through with chiropractic it's especially 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 you got it especially one of those one of the five yeah especially when it comes to the anatomy trains like we mentioned before. And that's where you see some weird stuff with chiropractic. I mean, you have a posterior chain that comes from your eyebrows, essentially. Yeah, right. <laughs> goes over the top of your head, down your neck, all the way to the base of your spine, crosses at the hips, goes down the back of the legs to the bottom of the foot. The, you know, yeah, the bottom of the foot. And so, essentially anywhere on that fascial train that you can dissect away from the body in in one piece, right? That's kind of where these came from. Um, You could have tightness and it can affect something. So you do see, sure, you adjust the neck and someone's foot gets better. And that makes my job difficult. (laughs) Um, But chiropractic is evolving so much now. There's so many, you know, sports chiros and um, people that are yeah, like you even mentioned with the functional movement screening, that are focusing on you know function and and maybe something works or has worked for years, but now we know why a little better and and we can tailor that to the patient a little better. Um, there's all kinds of meta analyses now where people are you know tagging together chiropractic and muscle work and acupuncture and dry needling and and all these different you know movements and exercise and everything and, and it seems like common sense but they group together with just like years of research and they're coming out with like this is the best means of treating something. This is the best means of treating Low back pain, non-complicated, whatever low back pain. Like this is the best means of treating that, and it'll have chiropractic adjustments. It'll have exercise. It'll have dry needling or something in it, you know, uh, muscle work or stretching, whatever it is. And and it's like, yeah, sure, like those will help, right? And it's the same thing with, uh, like we mentioned before, like the puzzle pieces. Like they're all little puzzle pieces that go together. And sure, I can get behind that. But now we have like the data (laughs) Mm -hmm. compiled to show like these are the best ways to treat these injuries. Um, And it's due time for that, right? But it's a lot easier now to pass these things on to patients and say, look, this is what the medical journals say. This is what the standard of care is. And it's some form of chiropractic care, whether whether you want to agree to it or not, whoever's listening out there, (laughs) it's chiropractic care. Uh, It's muscle work. It's exercise and diet and stress. And I mean, you can go into all kinds of things, but from my musculoskeletal standpoint, it's chiropractic care, some kind of muscle work, stretching, whatever, and some kind of rehabilitative exercise. And that's What's the standard of care to take care of people? That's what insurance wants to look for nowadays. They want to see that you're doing that stuff in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you meet with other doctors and DOs and all this and that, they want to see that you're doing that with your patients. Um, and it's getting to the point where it blows my mind when someone who works very hands-on with their patients, whether that's a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a DPTs and stuff like, and they're not doing these things. They're not doing some kind of mobilization. They're not doing muscle work. Maybe they're only doing exercise or they're doing adjustments and they'll give you an exercise, but they're not doing muscle work or, or, you know, adjustment, muscle work, no exercise. They're like, missing a piece. Of they're the puzzle. missing a piece of the puzzle. And why? Yeah. Why are you missing a piece of puzzle? There's so much data out there now that, that tells us this is necessary, that yes, if you have low back pain, you need to be seeing someone who is going to be giving you those three puzzle pieces at the least. There's so many options out there now, even in, in our area. You don't have to come to me. Not going to hurt my feelings. (laughs) I don't care. But find someone that is going to be giving you some kind of adjustment, some kind of muscle work, some kind of exercise. And that should all be wrapped up and packaged beautifully with a ribbon on top that is patient education. And if you're not getting those things, find someone that will because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of options out there now. And that's what makes it difficult. That's where people get stuck in these ruts because people are good salesmen or, you know, or they have a nice office or they have a good flow. But they're just, they're good leaving a piece business model. Out. Yeah, they got yeah, a good business model, right? You know, maybe my business model's a mess. <laughs> maybe I spend way too much time yeah. with my patients and don't charge them, whatever. <laughs> That's fine. I don't care about that. But I'm going to give those three things, rapid, you know, wrapped in package and patient education till I die. Mm-hmm. Because that is, you know, what's best. And as that grows and evolves, sure, you got to stay on top of that too. Yeah. That's a whole other, you know, thing in and of itself as well. Um
2: but yeah. yes, I think, uh, yeah, that was a good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I could just say Yeah, yes. to narrow it down. Uh, yeah, short story. But I think uh, another thing on this is that the nervous system has to be ready to respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to your 7 out of 10 pain, mm-hmm. discomfort kind of conversation is the nervous system has to be ready for what yeah. we're about to deliver and, and what kind of message we're trying to send to it. And for it to respond appropriately, so I've had people come in to where you know I'm barely touching them back to our fibromyalgia kind of conversation mm-hmm. is like I'm barely even touching you, and every you know I'm getting jumps, mm-hmm. you know they're just moving all over the place and i I often have to sit them down and say, "Look like what i you know if I deliver a high velocity you know low amplitude adjustment to your nervous system right now to your body." it's it's going to react <laughs> in not not the right like way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and it's going to throw yeah. a temper tantrum. And so a lot of times it's more about some of those other things that we have to include. You know, and I think that's also where some of the, the other kind of practitioners may be more effective, maybe like a craniosacral, um, even an osteopathic kind of uh, adjustment, you know, a little bit more gentle mm-hmm. kind of, uh, um, and then even, you know, even things like like acupuncture, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Reiki, what you know, whatever people are kind of into, you know, moving that energy may be a little bit more appropriate um, than what we have at at that um, you know that we've been trained to utilize. So. I think those are, you know, there's always a a way. There's always something, someone that that can help you. Yeah. I think you, you know, we have to teach people too to to help themselves first. Right. I try to get get that point across. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And then, uh, you know, a few other points to kind of bring up, kind of here as we uh, finish out on this topic. Um, But you know, it's not always musculoskeletal. So, you know, that's where we have to, you know, be those detectives also and and either send to appropriate people, practitioners, um, or myself where maybe the functional medicine, uh, the bioterrain medicine might be a little bit more appropriate, you know, whether it is kidney dysfunction it could be mm-hmm. it could be any organ it could be gallbladder oh, it could be yeah. you know so we have referral patterns that we know about and so those could be very indicative you know so that's where that history taking comes into play we can really start to narrow that down and then the lab work and some of the imaging and things like that can really point in that yeah. direction a little bit more than the musculoskeletal you know but then also with the German New Medicine stuff that I'm learning a little bit about more and, and you know, some of the uh, energy pathways and things like that, the etheric body and some of these more, uh, you know, everybody says woo-woo, but it's more, you know, just a little, <laughs> little bit out there. But, you know, it's really – we are just energy at the end of the day. So when we, when we look at things like emotions, you know, which I mentioned should be moving, you know, emotion – and so if it's not moving and it's stuck, then that can cause issues. You know, there was a great book um, by Dr. John Sarno, who who wrote, uh, I believe it was Tension Myositis Syndrome, oh. and, you know, pretty much he saw that everybody had some kind of Stress or emotional issue that was driving it. And then there's the body keeps to score, um, you know, where our body is kind of that fascial system and the muscles are kind of storing that Mm -hmm. trauma. Yeah. And so that's where we can start to see something, maybe even like a sciatica, like we were talking about. Maybe that's what's actually driving this, whether it's on the right side hip, we might see something more like guilt or shame, you know, or Hmm. on the left side. So yeah, there are there are ways to kind of yeah dictate you know. Mm. Um, so I think uh, Eileen Mucic she does a lot of stuff with the uh, uh, biofield um, okay. tuning and stuff, and she she started to identify over time where certain things were, whether yeah. it was you know based off of the root chakra, the sacral chakra, solar plexus chakra, and mm. and then how far off the body in the biofield it. it was and things like that, and it's it's pretty fascinating. And then you can manipulate the biofield with whether it's tuning forks or um, the sound bowls, or yeah, you know I'm any seeing, kind of energetic stuff like that. Yeah. therapeutic modality there. And, and yeah, so then you might see like frustration on the left side hip. Um, then there's also like whether it's a, a female figure in your life that's caught, you know, <clears throat> um, or a male figure. And yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Oh, man. So yeah, that's way outside of my. Mind. It, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's always good to keep this on the radar too, because right. we're gonna have those people that just aren't responding. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. To our, to I've
0: our, had people that I don't even I don't even get to treat. I mean, you come in and it's the therapy session, and mm-hmm. they talk about this trauma in their life, or this person, or this pet passed away, and and you just sit there and you just kind of let them get that off their chest for a while, um, and then they can, yeah, almost start to prepare themselves for healing in that sense. And it's just a matter of getting that off their chest to somebody who cares. Yes, somebody uh, that'll and listen. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I do see that fairly frequently, you know, and, and you can immediately start to say, okay, wow, like, yeah, you're in a lot of pain. Maybe there is a perfectly, like, you know, physical explanation of, yeah, you have, you know, neck tightness, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and all this and that but you also have this trauma in your life that is affecting you so much to where you don't even get to address this yeah. and then it just builds up with the stress and all this and that and and it just it just gets worse mm-hmm. right and so now you have that physical pain which we know can affect you emotionally and and uh and all this and that as well and it just builds on top and then you just end up yeah like drowning in like sorrow and pain physical yeah. pain and and you know your your heart's broken and like all this stuff like <laughs> it does and it and it starts to you know, manifest physically even there and and things just get worse. And so I do see that.
2: I I do have to like sit down and just be like, like change a hat almost sometimes. I think that's exactly, that's a great way to put it is, you know, a lot of times I do feel almost like a therapist, you know, and it's like, just give, give your patients some space to, you know, hold some space for them and just allow them to, to get their story out. You know, a Mm. lot of times that's like the most therapeutic Thing yeah. you can offer and there
0: has been times too where you kind of pass along like a business card like hey you know you should check this guy out Oh, for sure for sure and uh, yeah and they can I'm they always can referring to yeah and so yeah, yeah that goes uh, you know the same boat i guess so for just sure getting
2: them where they need to be yeah we can't time. do all that kind of work right you know? like but and and that's where you know things like uh, accelerator resolution therapy emdr Uh, The somatic experiencing therapy is the one that I'm kind of looking a little bit more into now because they do a little bit more on the breath work, a little bit more on the movement while you're trying to process some of the emotional trauma things. Mm. And uh, so I think that's where that makes a lot more sense to me. You know, we are humans kind of coming back full circle here that we're, we're meant to move. We need to get our breathing patterns down. And now I think we can access, you know, and start to really... Um, make more movement on that emotional stuff um, yeah. that's kind of bottled up that we all have. We all got it, you yeah. know. And so it's just uh, sometimes we we need to attack it directly, and sometimes a little bit more indirectly because we don't want to. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday. It was like, you know, sometimes you want to avoid those triggers, you know. So sometimes if you just keep bringing. Up that this person had trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and, and keep reminding them. It's almost like you're retriggering them. Yeah, and so give them some time. <laughs> and that's where the professionals, you know, yeah. understand that a lot more, and yeah. so uh, they can, you know, help them. And uh yeah, so let's kind of let's finish it out. So already brought it up, but yeah, do this one thing. Start here is start to activate that diaphragm. So an easy drill that I have people do is you can either just take your fingers your hands and just push into that lower abdomen just a little bit and then you can breathe in through the nose keep that mouth shut breathe in through the nose on that inhale you should feel the the lower abdomen push out into those fingers now you're actually activating that diaphragm and so you can do this on your back Um, i used to have people we would use like a light kettlebell put it on the lower abdomen. Hmm. Um, you yeah. can use even even lighter things like a book um, or even just place your hands there and, and just try to drive that breath deep down into the abdomen. That's kind of step one, you know, because like, like you mentioned, we want that lower rib cage to also be expanding out laterally. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a progression, but I see so many people mouth breathing. I see so many people breathing with their accessory neck muscles, yeah. and that's where that tension kind of builds up. Yeah. But Anything for you to...
0: No, I mean, yeah, you you activate that diaphragm and then, you know, whatever step two, step three, whatever step you want to, you know, say it is, you got to start to activate that core. So you got to uh, work on that transverse abdominus and that can be difficult. You know, it can be hard to do just kind of
2: mm-hmm.
0: out on your own. So, you know, I don't know, find a good YouTube video, meet with yeah, some chiropractor, DPT or functional medicine, you know, whatever. Find yeah. somebody that can train you through that. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would say that's a really good start, yeah, just that diaphragmatic sure. breathing and, and core bracing. So
2: Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, well, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and make sure to give us a review when you can. And myself, Dr. Damon. And I'm Dr. Daniel Nikens, and we look forward to harmonizing
0: your health.
1: Find out more about harmonized health by visiting seedandsoilwellness.com. If you have a topic you'd like covered, email us at drdamon at seedandsoilwellness.com. Follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast service to be notified when new podcasts are available. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use it as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own practitioner for any medical issues you may be having.